Hello, everyone. I'm Lindsay Coughlin. When I'm not hustling around the halls of a level one trauma center emergency department as a PA, I am hosting the Motherhood Meets Medicine podcast. This show brings all women together. It's for those who hope to be a mom one day, those who are already mothers, and mothers of mothers. Motherhood Meets Medicine will give you candid, informal interviews from medical experts on motherhood topics that you can listen to while you're driving to work, folding laundry, or whatever else your busy day may bring. Listen to Motherhood Meets Medicine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. With people pleasing, it leads to so much resentment because you constantly are putting other people's needs first. So I'd rather you not feel resentful towards your friends, family, loved ones, whoever it may be that you're prioritizing and really lean into that uncomfortability and prioritize yourself instead. Welcome to Habits You Love, a thought-provoking podcast about self-love, self-healing, and spiritual evolution. I'm Kayla Fazio, and with each episode, it is my mission to expand your mind to what you think is possible for you and provoke thoughts of looking at your own healing you may need and help you discover the power you have within you to build healthy habits and create a life you love. Now, let's get to the episode. All right, Habits You Love listeners, I am yet again, I think I start my episode with I am so excited for this announcement slash guest slash topic that we are going to be talking about today. I want to introduce you guys to Morgan Winder. She is not only going to be my guest today, but I decided to bring her on as kind of the habits you love on staff therapist, if you will. A little bit more about Morgan that I want to um, go into and then I'll let her introduce herself as well is Morgan is a licensed master social worker. She completed her degree with a concentration of direct practice with children, youth, and families. She specializes in family counseling and parent-child relationship therapy to assist parents with learning how to strengthen the parent-child relationship, which is huge, as well as provides developmental guidance in order to assist parents in best supporting the emotional needs of their children or teens. Again, huge, 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 huge thing to learn and know. She also works with adults to assist with addressing childhood trauma, life transitions, strengthening relationships, anxiety, and depression. She is trained in EMDR, CBT, DBT, parent-child relationship therapy and play-based therapy and strongly believes in the use of multiple therapeutic modalities to best fit the needs and treatment goals of each individual. She is passionate about being able to provide individuals with the tools they need to overcome challenges and be able to use these resources to empower each individual to reach their potential. That was a mouthful, but I'm sure there's still so much more to learn about you. So if Morgan, you want to give a little bit more explanation of yourself, where you live, how you got into therapy, all the things. Hi, thank you for the introduction. I am just so excited and grateful to be here today. I really just want everyone to to know just about myself and my practice that I do use so many different modalities and see such a wide range of population. And I'm really excited to bring that to this podcast to really talk about such a wide range of topics. And really, there is no topic off limits and bring such different angles. And 
really talk about topics through different modalities. So I'm really excited to be able to bring that forward. And um, like you had mentioned, I do work with young kids and adults. So really have that wide range of experience to bring forward to kind of help all the listeners of whatever that topic is with their own therapy, with helping kids, with working through their inner child and childhood trauma. So I'm really excited and really excited to see what this brings. I am a mental health therapist in Arizona. So I went out here for undergrad, stayed for grad school. um, And I've been out here since. So I work in the Biltmore Phoenix area, as well as the Gilbert area. So currently seeing clients in two different locations, which has been really exciting and amazing to expand. And that's just a little bit about me. Ah, I love it. Okay, so I have to explain how this even came about because nothing is coincidence. My boyfriend always says coincidences (laughs) are God's way of staying anonymous. So this is just a whole God universe thing. Morgan actually reached out to me on my Habits You Love podcast Instagram via, you know, a DM. And I think you were just like, you know, I love all the content you're doing and what you're what you're doing. So I looked at your profile and I saw you were a therapist, mental health. And I was like, well, of course, she needs to be on the podcast. So I think we were just communicating back and forth. And, you know, it was just going to be a one off episode like I normally have with all my other guests. And when I asked you what you wanted to talk about, <laughs> I was like, OK, what topic do you like to discuss? You said this is verbatim. I, I wrote it down. You said, I love everything mental health, but really, I love discussing self-esteem, boundaries, people-pleasing, attachment, anxiety, burnout, just to name a few. And I was like, okay, let's get on a call really quick. (laughs) And then it just went really well. I think we connected and had a really good conversation. I have always wanted to have a reoccurring, I'm just kind of put in quotations, on staff therapist to come on and just kind of validate and bring more education and information to the topics that I discuss because I'm not a therapist. This is all just my own research, whether I've been through it personally or researched it and just kind of bringing the two together. But I was like, I want to marry that with another person where we can get on and you can actually bring the, you know, education to it. So when you were saying all these things, I was like, this sounds like we're going to need like 10 episodes. And I was like, wait a second. What if you, I think I said that in the, in the call, I was like, I have an idea. <laughs> what if you just came on as my therapist for Habits You Love? And you said yes. And it was just amazing. So here we are, our episode one. And I think it's going to be so great. Like you said, you love talking about so many different topics. I love it too. But you kind of bring that the backing of the credentials and and the education. So I'm really excited. Absolutely. Me as well. And I think that's something that drew me to your podcast because there is such a wide range of topics. And I love that when it really feels like you can get a little bit of everything. So I'm so happy that you encourage that and align with that of let's really like cover and dive deep on on every yeah so when people ask me what my podcast is about I mean I do say it's a mental health podcast but I I kind of have to go into a little bit more explanation of like but I talk about so many different things because obviously the tipping point of this pyramid is mental health but 
there's so many layers to that. What is that? And there's just endless things that we could talk about. But I think I've talked about some of the things that I have just gone through personally so far. If you don't know, the first 10 episodes of my podcast are essentially like an autobiography, like an audio, like an audiobook of my life. And then I go back and I dissect some topics and I kind of pull them out and I expand on them further. So I would say there's maybe been a couple of episodes that were just kind of random, random guests that I I did want to have on, like my sober curious lady that I had on. um, That was like, that didn't really relate to me, but I I, want to, you know, make sure it's relatable to every, everyone and every type of person that's been through other things that maybe I haven't been through. So this first topic. Let's kick it off with a bang. I asked if you wanted to talk about this and I think it was maybe one of one of those ones that was higher up there on the things that you like to talk about or discuss and that is people pleasing. Dun dun dun. People pleasing ties directly with self-worth, self-worth issues, self-esteem issues, which is also a topic I love to discuss and talk about. People pleasers hope, if you don't know what a people pleaser is, let me just kind of give a definition. People pleasers hope that saying yes to everything asked of them will help them feel accepted and liked. Other people pleasers have a history of maltreatment or somewhere along the way they decided that their hope for better treatment was to try to please the people who mistreated them. So over time, People-pleasing can definitely become a way of life. I think people-pleasing can be superficial, but it could also be deeply rooted subconsciously where you are just inadvertently on autopilot going around and this people-pleasing issue is deep down and kind of just portrays out in every area of your life. Honestly, people-pleasers are no different than anyone who uses drugs, alcohol, sex, shopping in an effort to avoid disapproval or avoid the discomfort of disapproval from others. Today, Morgan and I are going to have an open conversation about 10 signs you may be a people pleaser. And then at the end, if we get there, or this might need to be a separate episode, how you can start to work on your self-worth and self-esteem issues first. And not only will the people-pleasing tendencies fall away naturally, but other areas in your life will continue to get significantly better when you have a higher self-worth. Win-win. Let's get right into it. So Morgan, just really quick, if you you know have the answer, how often would you say that you notice people-pleasing tendencies in your clients when they come in for therapy. Is it something you can pick up on right away or does it take a little more time to pinpoint? Yeah, great question. And that was a great description of what people-pleasing really is and how it is so tied to our self-worth and self-esteem. And there definitely is a little bit more of some causes that sometimes people aren't aware of, of why that causes people-pleasing. And truly, I see it so often in sessions at every age range. Like you can see this really young of those behaviors starting to develop, but especially in those teenage and adult years of that really rooting back to some childhood trauma or some low self-esteem that really never got resolved. And it manifested in these behaviors as a survival technique and a coping mechanism that people really never unlearned. So I think that is something that shows off, shows up so often with different presenting problems. And again, it shows up differently, but I think a lot of the times 
people aren't aware of how much their behaviors are linked to people pleasing. So I think that part's really interesting too. Like I get half and half of people being like, I identify as a people pleaser. Like I know it, I get it. What are the tools? And then a lot of those clients really aren't aware of what people pleasing is and how it develops and that their behaviors are really aligning in a way that match that. I think people do realize that they are and like, okay, what do I do to reverse this? As we're going to talk about these 10 topics that I researched, I was like, oh my God, which I already knew I was a people pleaser. I've already, I've known this like, and I've definitely done the steps and worked on, I didn't go directly to attack the people pleasing like, okay, I need to work on my people pleasing. I just needed to work more on myself and my self-worth and my boundaries and be stronger and stand up for myself. And inadvertently that was turned into not being a people pleaser. It's really not something you can like spot treat. (laughs) Kind of like working out. You can't just go in and work out your abs. You kind of have to work the whole body in order to see improvement in every area of your body. So that's kind of the same with your mental health in these topics is you have to work on the whole self in order to do that. Let's just dive in to these 10 signs that you might or are (laughs) be a people pleaser. Maybe you should get a notebook out and write Roman numerals or check marks of how many that you check off for yourself. And then if you have more than five, you might be a people pleaser. So the first one is you agree with everyone. Or it could be said that you pretend to agree with everyone. It's really more of you should listen to people's opinions, even if you disagree. Like that's a really good skill to have. But you don't want to agree with everyone um, just because you want to be liked, because that could cause you to engage in behavior that goes against your values, your morals. You get caught up in all these different things and you kind of just mask your own identity, I think. And you don't really know exactly who you are. What would you say to that one? Absolutely. And I think that's such a good point. And before even diving into all these, I think there is something to be said about there's so many strengths of people pleasers. Like they are some of the most caring, thoughtful, like empathetic people and individuals. And they really embody so many strengths. And when working through some of these like 10 signs, you might be a people pleaser. I think it is so important to keep in mind that some of these qualities we're talking about, like aren't bad things. It's just really finding that balance of are you neglecting your needs? Like being agreeable and really listening to people is a really great attribute and important, but there's also, it's kind of like that spectrum. There's that fine line of like, are you neglecting your needs? What's the purpose? What's the intention and really figuring that out. So I just want to acknowledge to all my fellow people pleasers out there. There's some really good strengths and some attributes, but again, like exploring that deeper and there is a fine line and a boundary that needs to be implemented. But yeah, agreeing with everyone is a huge attribute and quality of a people pleaser for so many reasons. Like going back to that self-esteem, like that fear of being rejected. If you're not agreeing with anyone, what does that say about you? Are they going to reject you? Worried about implementing that boundary. But also like people pleasers are constantly operating away for safety of like what would others like and what's going to make other people feel good. So I'm going to set aside 
my needs and what I agree with and what my values and beliefs are to really please those other people. So it feels just easier to agree with them rather than to disagree and like sit with all that potential rejection and discomfort. So it feels like that, that safer way out. Agreed. I know that I do not want to face rejection. Like I, and there's a couple of points to this later, but I would just go out of my way to avoid rejection. Like I would not put myself out there. I remember in school, I would never raise my hand if a teacher called or if a teacher was like, does anyone know the answer? Like I would never raise my hand, even if I was like 99.9% sure, like I knew the answer. I was like, but what if it's wrong? So I just know a fear of rejection is huge. And it's definitely instilled in us at an early age. Like that was like elementary. I, re- I remember being like that. I think like what you said about the fear of rejection, the, um, like I said previously, just the avoiding the discomfort of disapproval of others is what we as humans do not want. <laughs> That's like the number one thing we don't want. We want to be liked. Um, you know, if you ask every kid in school, like what their number one thing is they want, they just want to be popular. They want to be liked. So um, that definitely goes back to people pleasing. So number two is you feel responsible for other people's feelings. This is a big one as well. Yeah, this is the the big, big one. This is so tough. Feeling responsible for people's emotions, kind of like this one is one that's like really deep rooted and kind of like what is the origin that someone developed these people-pleasing behaviors? And I think that's so important when people are identifying as a people-pleaser of really exploring, like, where did that come from? And typically feeling responsible for other people's emotions. I see this a lot in sessions and just kind of like my own practice of at some point, this individual learned from their caregivers that they were responsible for their emotions, for their caregivers' emotions. So whether that's there's a lot of conflict in the home, rather, or if they're feeling a lot of neglect, or if they were parentified, which means that they were kind of like the parent's role for the parent, like they had to take care of the parent, take care of their emotions, almost be like their their parents' therapist, it just naturally reinforces this belief and behavior that you are responsible for other people's emotions. So if they're experiencing discomfort, if another individual is unhappy, anxious, sad, that you naturally take on that responsibility and feel truly deep down to your core that that is your responsibility and it's not that individual's responsibility. And once we really engage in that behavior. And if it keeps getting reinforced in childhood, it's it's kind of like all an individual grows up knowing is that that's just how they operate. They are in charge and they're responsible for caring for other people's emotions and taking that pain away from them. Totally. And if I think if we can understand that cornerstone that everyone is responsible for their own emotions, like you can't know that yourself and then be like, Oh, I'm responsible for my emotions, but I'm responsible to make them happy. You know what I mean? So it's really healthy to understand how your behavior affects others and may, might influence them. But thinking that you are responsible or have the power to make someone happy or fulfill someone in any way, that's where the problem comes in. Because at the end of the day, they are 
responsible for that first and foremost, just like you are responsible for that first and foremost for yourself. You don't have the power over them um, to do that. So I think when you, if you feel responsible for how other people feel, that's never going to be in your control for one. So you're going to constantly get disappointed. You're going to have your expectations really high and just be like, I can help them. I can change them or whatever. And then you're going to be constantly let down. So I think just understanding that cornerstone fact of you yourself, everyone else is responsible and in charge of their own emotions first. And then if your behavior can influence them, you know, I always say, try to be an inspiration, not an influence. Like don't try to influence someone. Don't try to change them. Just be yourself and be an inspiration first and let your behavior dictate how they see you. And then maybe eventually they will want to change their ways or whatever you're trying to get them to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, I love that. Like you don't need to influence. And this is something people often talk about with people pleasing too, is like people pleasers tend to really have some controlling behaviors too. And this really like aligns with that of like trying to help and trying to control the situation to diffuse it. So there isn't conflict, there isn't discomfort. And they're, you know, trying to control other people's emotions because it's kind of like what they were naturally trained to do, which is so hard because in return, that just naturally minimizes that person's own emotions, needs and wants. And they just get really used to that of my needs aren't as important other people's are, which, you know, when we take a step back, we know like that's not healthy and that's not good. But again, it's, it's so deep rooted at that point for someone that it's really hard to kind of, to shift that behavior. Absolutely. We will definitely get into more, um, just some more tips and tools later um, about how you can start to unpack and unlearn all of these things. But first, let's kind of get through the the 10 things. So the next one on the list is, and I'm definitely guilty of this one. Actually, I'm just guilty of all of these. <laughs> but you apologize too often. This is a big one. Um, I recently saw something on the holistic psychologist post about, I think it said something like, we are so suppressed our emotions are so suppressed that we apologize for even crying it's like the a basic human thing that we should be able to do anytime we want and anytime we need we apologize for crying and i know i've been like that too like i'd be crying and i'm like sorry i'm crying <laughs> you know so why do we do this why do we apologize so often whether you excessively blame yourself or fear other people are always blaming you apologizing too much can definitely be a sign of a much bigger problem so you don't have to be sorry for having emotions um, and just being yourself, what would you say to that? If someone apologizes too much? Yeah, absolutely. Like full transparency, so guilty as well with this one. And I say all the time, I'm like, I am aware I am a people pleaser, like recovering people pleaser, but, th- but this one's so tough. And I love that you pointed that out. I see it in like my friends, family, just relationships other than clients, but especially clients as well of the second there is emotion and tears, I'm so sorry. And it is a good moment to reflect, like, please never be sorry for that. But it is almost like just such an automatic response. But they're really 
over apologizing is feeling uncomfortable that our emotions are are really at the forefront and the focus, right? Like if we kind of going back to what we just talked about, like if we're constantly putting other people's wants and needs first and repressing ours, it feels weird. It feels uncomfortable and awkward to all of a sudden have your emotions at like being prioritized. And so we do often over apologize and that's motivated by just trying to manage the other person's emotions, like letting them know you acknowledge, like, I'm so sorry. Like, is this okay? I know we'll get into the validation a little bit, but kind of looking for that validation a little bit too. Like, is this okay? Is this all right? So it's really just that uncomfortable feeling of, I can't believe I'm showing this emotion. It's about me all of a sudden and just over apologizing to try to really make it okay and make sure it's, it's not a problem or a conflict. Yeah. I mean, if, cause when you do apologize, you're essentially wanting the other person to say, no, it's okay. And I don't think we like mm-hmm. consciously think that because I think it just happens so quick. Honestly, it's a, it's a pretty big reflex. I think people have of anything like, um, I know my boyfriend says sorry a lot. I need to talk to him about that. <laughs> he really does say sorry. Just like all for anything. And I'm like, babe, like you don't have to say sorry. Hashtag recovering people pleasers over here. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, it is. And when we're used to that too, of like seeing that people do it. It's kind of like that modeled behavior. So if we're like around that a lot too, if people saying sorry a lot, we like kind of tend to match that for sure. So it definitely is a big thing that's around with showing emotion is over apologizing. Yeah. And I know I've even, I'll again, say it really quickly, like, sorry, then I'll I'll sit back and be like, I mean, I'm not really sorry. I'm not going to apologize for that. Like I'll like tell to take it back because it just comes out sometimes. Like it's almost like (laughs) saying the word like, or, um, or it's just kind of like one of those words that's in your vocabulary that you need to be aware of when you do say it. Like, are you really sorry for this? And why are you sorry? So sometimes I'll say it and then I'll, I'll be like, actually, you know what? I'm not sorry for that. <laughs> like I'm a human. So I'll take back my sorry. I love that. Take it back. <laughs> All right. Number four, you feel burdened by the things you have to do or that you think you have to do. Filling up your day, filling up your plate, putting too much on your plate, you fill it all up and then you get mad at the things that you put on your plate for you. You are in charge of how you spend your time, but if you are a people pleaser, there's a really good chance that your schedule is filled with tons of activities that you don't have time for that you think other people want to do. Oh my goodness, yes goes to that really having a hard time to say no to certain activities, but also like what I have noticed and found is a huge correlation with people pleasing and perfectionism of like really wanting to take it all on and really wanting it to be perfect. Um, So there's like this mixture, there's this mixture of like having a difficult time of implementing a boundary and saying no to things with that fear of disappointing others, not taking it all on and feeling like you should a little bit of mix of that perfectionism a little bit. But also like, we do like, as people pleasers, avoid our own wants and needs. So it's, it's hard to really sit there and reflect of like, well, what do I want today? Not as what everyone else wants today. And doing it all really, what do I want? Am I taking time for myself? Is is that just self-care? Do you want to go to this birthday party or this wedding, et cetera? Or what, like, just really, what do you want to do? So 
it can feel really overwhelming and feeling burdened by all the things or things that you need to do and want to do because it really goes back to that self-esteem and self-worth too. Like if you're not doing all of the things that can be uncomfortable. Okay. So this goes back to kind of like the superficial people pleasing, not so much the deep rooted, like people asking you to do something and you just can't say no, which is going to be another one of our bullet points here. Just that superficial people pleasing where, like you said, the perfectionism a hundred percent. It's like you want to be able to do it all. You want to be superwoman. You don't want to say, no, I'm not able to do that. So we have this tendency to think we can do it all and we try and then we fail and then we get burnt out and then we get overwhelmed <laughs> and then we get stressed. I've referenced this book a couple times in my previous episodes, but The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is such a good book. Um, and he says, say you didn't have any of your current responsibilities, say you didn't have to go to your job, you didn't have kids, you didn't have all the things you are filling up your time. If you had a blank slate, but, and you're like, I want more time to do the the activities that I like to do, like my passions and my hobbies. You would just, again, fill up your whole schedule again with, with those things, with your passions and your hobbies. And all of a sudden you're doing all these things that you say, I wish I had time to do. And now you can do them, but you're kind of back in that same spot of still not having enough time. Mm -hmm. Just giving yourself a break, um, learning to say no. If you can just say no one time, It actually feels amazing. If you can, if someone asks you to do something and you say, you know what? I actually, I can't. I'm sorry. Actually, don't say sorry. (laughs) We're learning here. We're learning. We're learning as we go. (laughs) We're learning as we go. No, don't say sorry. Um, You say, no, I can't do that. And like, put your foot down. It actually feels so good. Saying no is actually one of the most powerful things you can do for yourself. So yeah, just not putting so much on your plate, not thinking you have to do it all, be it all. That's just another sign of trying to please people. All right. So the next one, number five is you can't say no. And this is a huge problem, but this kind of goes ties into what we were just talking about. I mean, whether you say yes, and then you actually follow through or you might do this, you might agree to do something and then you later fake an excuse to get out of your commitments. Like, so you're kind of don't have the responsibility of like, well, I actually committed and I can do it, but then this happened. This is out of my control. If you cannot speak up for yourself, you're just not going to get very far in your in life. You're just not going to reach your goals. You're going to be a constant people pleaser. So having the ability to say no, again, is like so powerful. And once you say it once, you can say it twice, you can say it three times. And all of a sudden it feels so good to have those boundaries with yourself first and foremost. And honestly, what I've seen when I do it is like people actually commend me for saying no. Wow. You're so good saying no and setting boundaries. And I've had people say they were impressed by how I didn't do something because I I really couldn't, I couldn't do it emotionally mentally, physically. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually people might look, start, start to look up to you, especially if you're a busy mom and you have these other busy moms who are like, I can't keep up with anything, but you're over here just relaxing. You are good emotionally and mentally. You seem very calm and Zen and chill. And they're like, how do you do it? And you're like, I literally just say no to things that I don't have to do <laughs> or want to do. Unlike you mm-hmm. guys who think you have to do it all. Absolutely. This is such a hard one. And I think even for people who maybe don't have a lot of people pleasing behaviors, 
implementing a boundary, like as we know, I feel like the buzzword for so long right now has been like boundaries and self care, but boundaries are so hard. And that is that ability to say no, there's so much fear that comes with that. And really, when you think about the goals of a people pleaser is to put people's needs first and to make them happy and to avoid conflict and avoid feeling that disappointment from others. So saying no really goes against all of that. And it does bring that potential for discomfort and disappointment and maybe not pleasing people. But I think this is such a a good moment where I love to teach clients too of like, if someone is resistant on your boundary, there's probably like even more of a reason to put that boundary there and that reason to say no. And I know that's so so much easier said than done. And like, I always get looked at like I have 20 heads when I tell that to clients. Um, Because you're sitting with discomfort for the first time, people might be disappointed with you saying no to things. And that's so hard to sit in. And that's really why you people pleasers have such a hard time saying no, it for them, it might bring up conflict, it might bring up disappointment. Really, it's, it's just so difficult, because typically, they're a yes person. And no isn't super familiar in their vocabulary. Yeah. And one thing you said that stood out to me was it's so uncomfortable, but the uncomfortable is where you need to be most of the time. It sounds counterproductive, counterintuitive, and no one wants to do it. But that's really where true change starts is why are you uncomfortable in that? And starting to learn and unpack that and know that trigger of, Why am I uncomfortable for telling my sister no or my best friend, like someone who should understand? And if you don't think they're going to understand, that's something for you to look at. But obviously, this probably just goes back to people pleasing, which we're talking about. The uncomfortable is where you need to be most of the time until it's not uncomfortable anymore, until you are comfortable with that certain situation that you had to work through. Just another one of those things you gotta, you gotta face and you gotta learn how to unpack it and you gotta face it and you gotta get through it and um, more will come along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a good point of that uncomfortability of why that can be important. And I think a lot of times saying no, so uncomfortable, but also like what I tend to see and find is that people are uncomfortable with saying yes, like they might not feel okay with doing that thing. And so you're uncomfortable either way. It's just who whose needs are you prioritizing? And I think that's such a hard decision to make. But like, I'd rather you be uncomfortable and prioritize your needs than like uncomfortable and prioritizing someone else's because with people pleasing, it leads to so much resentment, because you constantly are putting other people's needs first. So I'd rather you not feel resentful towards your friends, family, loved ones, whoever it may be that you're prioritizing, and really lean into that uncomfortability and prioritize yourself instead. I have to end it right there. That was amazing. I'm, I'm just gonna go right to the next one. No. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was such a good, so true, like prioritizing 
Okay. I'm not even going to say it. You said it best. Um, I'm going to move on. (laughs) All right. Number six, you feel uncomfortable if someone is upset with you. Hmm. Kind of, kind of just goes back to what we just said as well. Um, just because someone is mad doesn't necessarily mean you did anything wrong, but if you can't stand the fact or the thought of someone being mad at you, upset with you, angry with you, you are more likely to compromise your values. And that ties into what one, number one, even like, then you'll just agree with them and be like, okay, never mind. Sorry. You know, I agree with you. Um, but yeah, just being uncomfortable if someone is angry at you. And that ties into the whole theme of trying to avoid the disapproval or the discomfort of the disapproval with, with, uh, people with you. Yeah, absolutely. And this all really does tie together so nicely, but if someone's upset with us, it's almost like a people pleaser. It's like their job to please others, right? So if someone's upset with us, it's like kind of like we failed. We didn't do our job. Everything we taught, it, it didn't work. And it really triggers that person who is the people pleaser because that's going to just trigger them to want to please even more. And so it really kind of opens up that window again of saying, no, but like, what choice are you going to make? Like, are you going to sit in that discomfort and let that person be upset and let them regulate and handle their emotions? Or are you going to engage in that people pleasing? So this one really is a tough one when someone is disappointed or upset with that individual because it's it's so triggering. It goes up against everything you were taught and a and that has been reinforced. So this one's like, I would say the hardest one to teach clients and teach people of at this point, you really do need those good coping skills and good emotional regulation skills to sit and just accept that it's okay if people are upset with you. And that, and that's hard to accept. Yeah. I mean, you can't go through your entire life with no one being upset with you. You have to live on a deserted island yeah. in order to avoid that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So just nip it in the bud as soon as possible. Get on, get on that one. And, um, Mm -hmm. in those early years where you're like, don't take it personally. This isn't about you. It could be completely about them. Like it could have nothing to do with you. Um, and just not being so attached to someone else's opinion of you or disagreement with you. Like you're going to disagree with other people as well. So you have to know that other people are going to disagree with you too. Absolutely. Number seven, this is a good one. You're kind of like a chameleon and you act like the people around you, like whoever you're around. So, I mean, you have to understand it's normal for people to bring out different sides of you. Like I have friends that kind of bring out this side of me and people over here that bring out this side of me. You're like my fun side, my calm side, my, my yoga side, whatever. I think that that could often lead to a self-sabotaging a lot. People pleasers tend to engage in self-destructive behavior more if they think that other people will feel comfortable around them or if it helps them feel more comfortable in social situations. Being a chameleon and putting on masks, I know I've done an entire episode about putting on masks of your, of yourself. Like when I, when I'm with this person, I'm like this, when I'm with this person, I'm like this. And that's not good. We want to be solid, grounded in our true authentic selves every single day, 24 seven, no matter where we are, who we are with. 
Absolutely. I love the word chameleon effect. And it's, it's so true. It really is this smart, intuitive way. And again, like it's a strength of people pleasers. Like there's, there is some good in this of like reading the room and being adaptable when needed. But like, again, there's that really fine line of that, that can be a strength, but it's also can be a huge weakness when you are self-sabotaging and putting your needs to just morph into a situation. And it really is a safety and fear response of that fear of rejection. It's easier to just kind of be likable and be what everyone wants. I, same thing with the food. I always think about this of like, if nine people want to go to a restaurant and you're the only one who doesn't want to go there, it's so much easier to just be like, of course I want to go there and go with the flow. But again, you're really putting your needs aside in that situation. So it it really is deep rooted and it's so much easier to put other people's needs and wants in front of mine to be likable, to be going with the flow, easygoing, and just be kind of that chameleon in the room that's just adaptable. It feels so safe for that person. And I think that safety part is huge when you think about someone who did grow up in maybe a more emotionally abusive environment was neglected, had to really parent their parents. That's just like a safety skill that feels comfortable to them and familiar. And as we know, it's really hard to step out of those comfort zones, but that just feels good and normal for those individuals. Yes, we like comfort and we like familiar. Our brains are constantly trying to protect us. Our minds are constantly trying to keep us in survival mode. It does not like when we go outside of our normal bounds. That's the only way to grow, change, heal, become stronger, have more self-worth. Um, so that's that's really what it's all about. Really always bucking that norm of like, hey, where do I feel uncomfortable the most? I do this to myself on purpose. I don't know if anyone else does this, but if I feel uncomfortable <laughs> in an area, I purposely like go into the storm. I don't know if you ever heard, you know, you should be like a bison or I'm sorry, it's either a bison or a buffalo. Dang it. <laughs> I think it's a bison <laughs> or a buffalo. Anyway, like you could either be a cow or a bison or buffalo, but when a storm is coming, cows will run away from the storm. When a storm is coming, a buffalo or bison, whichever one it is, they're the same thing. They will actually, <laughs> they will actually run into the storm because they know that if a storm is coming, it's going to take longer to try to outrun it. And then you're still going to get caught up in the storm. But if you can go through the storm, you're going to come out of it much faster. So you always want to try to be like a buffalo. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I probably butchered that really bad, but that's the sense of it. Don't be like cow because they run away from storms. Be a buffalo because they run into the storm knowing that they will get on the other side of it much faster. Just a good little tip. I love yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Let's go to number eight. You need praise or validation to feel good. Again, this is, these are all bad things. So <laughs> this one's just as bad. If your self-worth just rests entirely on someone else's opinions about you, you're only going to feel good when you're, 
either with other people or you're with other people complimenting you. And that's not good. I mean, you got to have ultimate self-love, self-respect, self-worth first. I just can't imagine, you know, waking up and being like, okay, I need, I need to like fill up my cup. I better go be with someone who's going to compliment me all day. You know what I mean? Like you need to wake up and just immediately love yourself for who you are, where you are in that moment of time, how you look, how you feel. Just giving yourself the validation and love that you need first is a way that you could stop people pleasing. Absolutely. Of being able to know yourself and your wants and needs is so important of who am I at my core, not what other people define me as. And I think when there's that really long period of you've had these behaviors for such a long period of time, pleasing other people and like them needing you or wanting you really is your only source of self-esteem. So it's so it's so difficult to break that cycle. But really like that driver behind people pleasing me is that feeling of being like wanted, valid, admired, and needed. So it does really rely on that external validation for that individual. But like you said, like once we have that internal validation and that really strong sense of worth and self-esteem, the less likely we are to seek that external validation, the easier it is to be like, I'm okay with saying no, because I know my values, my worth and my worth isn't dependent on that. And these really all do intertwine with each other and all need to be worked on to really kind of like overcome these behaviors. And I think that self-esteem is a big one for that of my worth isn't dependent on helping people, pleasing people. And I think parents have a, a hard time with this one, especially a feeling like their worth is, is not just dependent on pleasing others, pleasing their kids, their kids needing them. It, it is so much more than that. I don't know if you've listened to any of my other episodes or know the story of my mom, but I, I, I really feel like that was one of her downfalls of she didn't know who she was without being a mom or without being a, a wife that her husband needed. And I think when those things were taken away, she was literally at zero self-worth left. You gotta build that strong, strong self-belief and self-love. And I would say all of these things just check the box of low self-worth. And like I said in the beginning, if you could just work on these things first and develop a higher sense of self-worth and the people pleasing aspect just kind of goes away. Like we're not going to try to spot treat not being a people pleaser, but just developing that higher, mm -hmm. higher self-worth first and foremost. And then eventually you'll just find yourself doing the things a people pleaser doesn't do. But anyway, I think, yeah, again, just agreeing with having a high, high, high sense of self-worth and it can definitely be developed through working through all of these things that we're talking about today. Number nine, I get this number nine is like their theme of everything, <laughs> but you go to great lengths to avoid conflict or pain. So I like these all are really intertwining. You know, this goes into the Buffalo story that I butchered. <laughs> this goes into <laughs> the beginning when I said we our ultimate goal as humans is to be liked. And so when we aren't liked, it's very uncomfortable. So I think we'll assess a situation and be like, there is a chance there could be rejection. I could be 
called out, whatever the case may be. So you literally avoid that situation at all costs. And then who knows what you have to do to avoid it? Like, do you have to lie? Do you have to steal? Do you have to burn a bridge? You know, so that's just never good. So facing situations head on, whether or not you, it could be painful, there could be conflict, it could be uncomfortable. The more of those you can get under your belt, the better, because then they will literally just be something you do and you get through very easy. Um, I think any kind of self-care, self-thing that you practice over and over will just get easier to get through. Like some things that I've worked through or triggers that I've had where it took me weeks like it would affect me for weeks and then it would go down to days and then it would go down to hours and then it would go down to this only affected me for 15 minutes. Now it only affects me for 90 seconds, you know, but that's only through repetition of working through those in the moment. Definitely don't try to avoid pain or discomfort. Absolutely. I love that. Uh, it does take time and it does take that training and it might look so long for a while, but it will decrease once you do get those skills and understand your triggers and can really work through that experience. How do I regulate and how do I handle when I am triggered? And I think that's the hard part in therapy is like, I can give all the skills, but until you sit in that and work through it yourself and get that experience of what's working and what's not, it is so difficult. We could have all the tools in the world, but it's really having that experience and putting it to work and avoiding conflict is one of those things and then avoiding pain, it it really goes to what's that immediate gratification. The immediate is to run from it and avoid it because it feels so good in that moment. But really, it's just suppress, like suppressing and pushing it down so much, especially when it comes to relationship conflict. We know that just builds resentment and it builds more conflict that really could potentially make that a a bigger conflict and issue down the line. And I really see majority of the time the origin of this of kids and teens who learned at a young age that when there is conflict in the home, if I just please and kind of give into my caregivers or siblings, whatever that is given to their needs, the conflict goes away. And that feels good. No kiddo for safety and just emotional regulation wants to go through that. So it really is such like a trained safety behavior and a fear response of if I can just please, please my caregivers. And that means there's no conflict. Like I'm going to do that. And it, no one really lets them know when it comes to adulthood that they, they don't need that skill and they don't need that anymore, that they can be safe and okay and conflict and learn those healthy communication skills. Yeah, definitely band-aiding a bullet wound with that one, with the temporary fix Mm -hmm. of, okay, it'll go away, but it's just going to keep coming back up. My question is, this is kind of just really a little bit off topic, but I mean, I don't think anyone can handle raising a child perfectly. Like we're talking about this issue and it's like, Mm -hmm. how do you stop your child from developing any of these stupid learned behaviors, patterns, looping, triggering. I think it's just inevitable that as adults, we're going to have to deal with something from childhood. 
sometime in our lives. It's all going to be different for everyone. Absolutely. There's just no way that we can stop and give our kids like all of these emotional skills all at once. So they don't have these traumas growing up. Everyone's going to have trauma, but yeah, I don't know. I just thought of that. I was like, God, there's just so much out there. Absolutely. But yeah. A child could have a lot of great qualities and your the parent could just be so like, I picture myself just being such like a nurturing parent that wants to give their kids all the emotional skills that I did not get as a child growing up. And I can do that all I want, but at some point the kid's going to have something <laughs> and it's later on, he's going to have to work through it or work through something at some point. Absolutely. As a therapist, that's something that's been something I'm working on to accept um, that as much as I know and would love to change from my childhood and give like, my children a different experience like there's only there's only so much we can do and we can't control external factors as well but i think such a helpful tip for parents to take away is that really what you model like kids pick up on so easily and i will see that in some of my children and teen clients like the way they implement boundaries that's just learned like well mom and dad implement boundaries like that or the way mom and dad say no and kind of when they can really see that mom and dad prioritize their wants and needs with some self-care and that's forcing them to say no, they really pick up on it quickly. And I think it's so cool that just modeling that can go, it can go a really long way. Yes. So model to the best of your ability and send up a prayer (laughs) and hope that everything goes okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, all right. That brings us to our very last one. Number 10, a big, big, big one I had to work through on this one or learn how to accept was you don't admit when your feelings are hurt or you really don't admit your feelings at all. I guess you could say. It's really, really, really hard to form authentic relationships, um, getting close to anyone, being vulnerable with anyone, unless you're willing to speak up whenever your feelings are hurt or when you have feelings at all. So denying and disassociating that you have the negative emotions, anger, sadness, you're embarrassed, you're disappointed, whatever, even if you're like very emotionally distraught. Like, even if it's, like, a valid reason, um, this keeps the relationships you have with anyone just very superficial. I know it's been really hard for me to get close to people, and I was actually even telling my boyfriend this yesterday because I think one of our main tension points or not not even disagreements, but we were raised very differently emotionally growing up, and so his parents gave him a lot of nurturing, a lot of coddling, a lot of positive reinforcement, a lot of, like literally believed in them so much and said it out loud. Whereas I don't feel like I got that. I got shown that I was supported and loved by being uh, given my basic needs. Like we had a house, we had food and I got to go shopping and, you know, it was just kind of like more gift giving of like, here, I love you. Let's go buy stuff. Um, And he got a lot of nurturing and and words of affirmation. That's like his number one love language. So sorry, what I'm trying to get at this is, it's always been really hard for me to be like in a deep, meaningful relationship because I, I just show my love with like, here, I bought you this. 
and he's more of like, I need you to tell me things. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? But here, I bought you this. <laughs> so, uh, just, that just goes back to like being able to express your feelings and emotions is what I'm trying to say. Like, I love him dearly. I think he's like the best thing ever, but I, I just personally have a hard time showing it and saying it. It's not that I don't think it or believe it, but, um, just knowing how to further tap into your emotions. Yeah. I love that. And I love those examples because it, it is so different. Like we could have our basic needs met and really have our caregivers showing up for us, but it's like, how are they showing up for us? And I think I'm sure we will get into this at a different episode, but really goes into attachment styles of how are our basic needs met, but how are our emotional needs met? And it sounds like his emotional needs were really attended to, which in our childhood, based on our attachment style and the way our parents show up emotionally, it either signals to us like it's safe and okay to admit my emotions because they're met with love and exploration and helping me process and regulate. Or when emotions were discussed, it was shot down. Maybe it was shamed. Maybe it was like kind of like tough enough and just deal with it. So it really creates this template of like, how do we feel safe to show our emotions? And is it okay to show our emotions? So I think that's kind of like one part of it. That other part of it is really going back to whose needs am I prioritizing? If I'm talking about my emotions, that's prioritizing my needs. And it's just something that people pleasers not used to. They're not used to being like, hey, let's talk about how I feel about that. And if I'm feeling discomfort, is that going to upset other people? Is that going to make them uncomfortable? It almost feels selfish. And that goes against everything a people pleaser operates for. It's They don't really operate for themselves. It's for other people. So it can be so hard to admit and sit with those feelings and really come forth with that absolutely oh my gosh this was such a good episode i'm spinning around in my chair right now (laughs) this is such a good conversation so at the beginning i think we were like well i don't know if we're gonna have time to get to like the actual what can you do about it so we're definitely not so we're gonna have to make that a, a different episode but that's totally fine um like i said morgan will be around for a long time so i hope you guys enjoyed that as much as i did for our, for our kickoff one, um, I thought it went really, really well. Um, and again, you're so knowledgeable and you see this every single day. Like, I I don't see this. I just have done it myself or I read in books or I hear stories. So I think just the fact that you face it and every single day with other people, I think you just have a really good, um, you know, resume built up of, of that experience. So I'm super excited. And um, this was such a good chat. And again, this is just signs that you might be one. So now you're thinking, okay, crap, I have five, six, nine, ten of these. I have all of them. What do I do next? Um, so we'll definitely have another episode discussing that. But if you can in the in the interim, in the meantime, just figure out ways that you can work on every single one of these bullet points and increase that high self-worth, then that will definitely help for now. Absolutely. And just for, for any listener, having that uncomfortable feeling of that oh shit moment, you are not alone. I, I am here with you as a recovering people pleaser. And I, I love this topic because I think it shows up for people more often than they think. And it's, it's such a good thing to prioritize yourself. So I'm so happy we're talking about it. And 
so grateful and happy to be here and just so excited to join this community and really unpeel all the good, bad, the ugly and do it together. So thank you for letting me be here. Yay, you are so welcome. And if anyone needs some encouragement, just know that Oprah was a people pleaser. So if Oprah can be Oprah, (laughs) then you can do anything. Absolutely. As a recovering people pleaser. She talks about it all the time. She was like, I'm a recovering people pleaser. So if Oprah can do it, we can do it. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Morgan. And we will see each other soon. I'm excited I can say that. I'll talk to you later. Thank Bye. you. Bye. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.